Alignment, on the other hand, looks like this. Physically, you are ready for the fight. You are resting. Internally, you are at peace. You may feel apprehensive, but you're willing to be involved with God. You are alert, in fellowship with him, and full of peace, mercy, kindness, and good fruit. You are walking in the Spirit. The starting point for spiritual breakthrough lies in the will. The truth does not set you free until you experience it. A head full of knowledge is useless. A sustained breakthrough is when faith and focus come together and stay together. We don't want a breakthrough that's lost before you get out of the building. The road to hell, it said, is paved with good intentions. What we don't want is a few good intentions. We want intentional will choices combined with faith and focus. A sustained breakthrough depends on your will and your spirit combining. If you have a flabby will, it isn't making choices. It hasn't been exercised. And like faith, it's a muscle that needs exercise to keep it fit. It's much more important to exercise your will and faith muscles than to spend time at the gym. Satan attacks your mind and emotions in the areas of your soul which he can access to subvert, that is to undermine, weaken and sabotage your will. When he has done that successfully, he has you. The will is the primary vehicle for the presence and power of God. Your will is the vehicle for faith. Your will must be put into God's hands. Victory and breakthrough come from a submissive will, from a will that is submitted to the greatness and goodness of God. You cannot manifest anything in the spirit if your will is working against you. Submission to God comes first. If he is our focus, we will magnify him. Everything else will shrink. What are you magnifying right now? We will always magnify something. Is what you are currently magnifying good or bad for you? Is it empowering you or reducing you? Is it introducing doubt and unbelief? You get to choose what you think. So stop and take stock. What am I magnifying right now? Is it doing me good? Time for a change. Use your will to magnify him and give thanks to him. This will align you with the Holy Spirit. So as you listen on CD right now, take a break, take stock, be honest with yourself. What have you been magnifying? Is it good or is it bad for you? Is it empowering you or reducing you? Is it introducing doubt and unbelief? 
What ground have you given to the enemy? What is the place he always accesses in your mind? And most importantly, what action are you proposing to take to prevent this access? I'm sure that was profitable. From the beginning, God has been looking for a people who would be totally and completely wholehearted in their love for him, in their relationship with him, and in their love and relationship with each other. The kingdom will not grow out of the church. Kingdom is not something that morphs out of church, a sort of an upgrade or a journey that the church is making into something. The kingdom is where the king rules in absolute power and dominion and we live our lives lovingly surrendered to his lordship. The church is to be founded on apostles and prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. That was the paradigm, the pattern that Jesus gave us. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. He came praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He came to show us the Father and to teach us how to interact with heaven through the Holy Spirit. He came to teach us how to experience God in relationship as we enter his kingdom and learn to live as his subjects. From the first, the message is Jesus first. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and then go love everyone else in the same way. I want us to consider for a moment what abandonment, absolute surrender to the sovereignty of God would look like. What would it look like to say he is my God and I am his possession? Some of you may know of a man named Rhys Howells whom God raised up as an intercessor during the Second World War. His prayer was instrumental in turning the German invasion away from our shores. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but someone visited his son recently and they inquired what it was that drove his father. After some pressure, the son said this, The Lord's servant was possessed by God. He was absolutely God's instrument, nothing held back, total, absolute surrender to God's purposes for his life. In the Song of Songs, the Beloved starts by saying, My Beloved is mine and I'm his. Song of Songs 2.16 And she ends up in the song, chapter 7 verse 10, saying, I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. She now knows she is his possession. She has progressed from being centred on what she wants to aligning herself with his desires. She sees things from his perspective as she walks with him in bridal partnership, leaning in absolute dependence on her beloved. 
Last time we looked at what it means to be a friend of God and we came to the conclusion, not surprisingly, that God must have everything surrendered to his will and purposes before we can come into that privileged position. And we concluded that surrendered servants were the ones who became friends of God. And we said this, to be called by Christ to follow him into his love is to be invited to enter the freedom of marvellous sonship with God as our Father. It means coming to enjoy friendship with Jesus. It leads to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And in all of this sublime interaction between God and me, the unfolding love, in enfolding love of Christ pervades my spirit and leads me to loyalty, unity of purpose and overwhelming gratitude. I love because he first loved me. His desires become my desires. His standards become my standards. His work becomes my work. His will becomes my will. His life becomes my life. We concluded that this was not grudging servitude, but a life overflowing with the love of God, a life of following the beloved and touching a weary world with the love of the Saviour. That this is not for an elite few, it's not for some it's not some exclusive experience reserved for the inner circle. It's for all who will respond to the call to follow him and surrender all they are to him. I ended up by asking you this question. Would you be ready to respond wholeheartedly if God were to take the initiative right now? Is your heart responsive and committed so that he knows you are responding to him no matter what he asks. Are you willing right now to release your life to him in love, faith and obedience so he can reveal his eternal purposes for your life? A.W. Tozer in his book The Pursuit of God said if anyone wants to partake of this he should remember this is holy business. No casual or careless dealings will suffice. Let him come to God fully determined to be heard. Let him insist that God accepts his all, that he takes things out of his heart and himself reign there in power. It may be that he will need to become specific, to name things and people by their names one by one. If he will become drastic enough, he can shorten the time of his travail from years to minutes and enter the good land long before his slower brethren who coddle their feelings and insist upon caution in their dealings with God. There come times when we just have to give God permission to take things out of our lives. What will abandonment to God look like? Let's look for a moment at the life of Jesus as our model. What characterised Jesus was sheer unpredictability. They never knew what he was going to do next. 
He flew in the face of convention all the time. The very first thing he did was to turn water into wine, attracting the charge that the best had been left until last. Then he went on to eat at the wrong houses with the wrong people. He healed on the wrong days and forgave those he had no business forgiving and to cap it all he hung around with adulterers, tax collectors, lepers and prostitutes. He upset religious leaders, apparently without concern, telling them that his father was working and so was he, bringing down on himself the charge, do you think you are God? To which he answered, absolutely, you had better believe it. He got up the nose of the church leaders of the day and called them blind guides, whited sepulchres and sons of hell. Elegant language. He used spit and mud and plastered it on people's eyes. Nice boy. He cast out devils and spoke without being asked in the synagogue meetings. If he really wanted to be culturally relevant and attract people, might he not have been more prudent, towed the line a little more and softened his tone? He would have been less odd and more predictable, more comfortable to be with. He would have tried to fit in in order to attract the masses and be popular with the religious leaders and not upset anyone. But Jesus served his father with abandon. I only do what my father is doing and only say what my father is saying. He never sought to please people or to be politically correct or indeed culturally relevant. The way he conducted himself mortally offended the religious leaders of his day and they sought to kill him. But he was the perfect representation of God's heart. The Pharisees hated him because they'd already decided how the Messiah would be and how he would act. The Messiah will be just like us. He will obey our rules. He won't touch lepers. He will abhor prostitutes. He won't work on the Sabbath. He will stone adulterers. He will not let them get off. He will ensure justice is done and he will acknowledge how good we are. But Jesus continually said to them, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. I who wrote the commandments say to you, you have been living by the letter and your interpretation of the commandments, but I bring the spirit of the law, which is life. He spoke of things relating to the heart of which the Pharisees had absolutely no knowledge. And his arrival heralded an entirely new way of doing things. He instituted such a break with tradition that it caused the hearts of the religious leaders to be revealed. He came to give both a radical theology and a radical practice. Jesus taught people how to break the religious rules because he was against rules and he deliberately went out of his way to do things which were an outrage to the religious leaders of the day.
He touched lepers, ate with sinners and made sure that the scribes and the Pharisees were watching when he did. He deliberately broke the Sabbath. He deliberately forgave adulterers. He deliberately ate with sinners. He was deliberately seen in the company of people who were outside the norm. He was outrageous. And when they tried to make him king, he disappeared. He was considered to be out of line and disruptive, but he was just being himself, entirely consistent in his nature, but totally unpredictable in his actions. He's good, but he isn't safe. You never know what he's going to do next. Real and radical Christianity has at its heart the whole issue of total, absolute surrender, of abandonment to God, without any holding back. It's an affair of the heart. If you have been unable to give your heart completely to him, you'll need to ask yourself who or what does have your heart. The rich young ruler couldn't abandon his money. Pilate couldn't abandon his power. Judas couldn't abandon his greed or his ambition. What's your problem? For us in the 21st century, we either see Jesus as he really, really is, or we no longer follow him as we should. Jesus in his own day was considered to be too radical and too bizarre, weird, odd, wacky, unpredictable, uncontrollable and altogether too dangerous to be left alive. In Jesus' day the disciples had to make a strong commitment to push ahead with the kind of lifestyle he was demanding. Except a man forsake all he has, he cannot. If you love mother, father, son, daughter more than me, you cannot. Given you had to make the choice of one or the other, he is saying. What is it that you cannot abandon for Jesus' sake? What is the fear that holds you back from absolute surrender to him and his will for your life? Is it your money? your possessions, your house, your husband, your wife, your children? Is it your position in the church or your ministry or lifestyle, your comfort, your money, your routine, your career, your security? Maybe it's just that you're afraid of making a mistake. What is it you can't abandon to Jesus? In Matthew 10, he tells his disciples what a hard road it was going to be. He said, people will be against you and you'll probably get beaten up in the church. You'll get betrayed by people close to you. You will suffer rejection and you'll be hated because of my name. Nothing is you own is yours and everything belongs to me. How do you like that? Still want to be my disciple? still want to follow me? There used to be a song and a part of it went but Peter it's going to be a hard road and the message puts it like this in Matthew 10 verses 5 to 42 reading from verse 
5. Jesus sent his twelve harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by travelling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighbourhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You've been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Travel light. When you enter a town or a village, don't insist on staying in a luxury inn. Get a modest place with some modest people and be content there until you leave. When you knock on a door, be courteous in your greeting. If they welcome you, be gentle in your conversation. If they don't welcome you, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. You can be sure that on Judgment Day they'll be mighty sorry, but it's no concern of yours now. Stay alert. This is hazardous work I'm assigning you. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack, so don't call attention to yourselves. Be as cunning as a snake, inoffensive as a dove. Don't be naive. Some people will impugn your motives, others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities. Without knowing it, they've just done you and me a favour given you a platform for preaching the kingdom news. And don't worry about what you'll say or how you'll say it. The right words will be there. The spirit of your father will supply the words. When people realise it's the living God you're presenting and not some idol that makes them feel good, they're going to turn on you, even people in your own family. There's a great irony here, proclaiming so much love, experiencing so much hate. But don't quit don't cave in. It's all worth it in the end. It's not success you're after in such times but survival. Be survivors. Before you've run out of options the Son of Man will have arrived. A student doesn't get a better desk than her teacher. A labourer doesn't make more money than his boss. Be content, pleased even, when you, my students, my harvest hands, get the same treatment I get. If they call the master dung-face, what can the workers expect? Don't be intimidated. Eventually everything's going to be out in the open and everyone will know how things really are. So don't hesitate to go public now. Don't be bluffed into silence by the threat of bullies. There's nothing they can do to your soul or core being. Save your fear for God who holds your entire life, body and soul in his hands. What's the price of a pet canary? Some loose change, right? And God cares what happens to it even more than you do. He pays even greater attention to you, down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. So don't be intimidated by all this bully talk. You're worth more than a million canaries. Stand up for me against world opinion and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. If you turn tail and run, do you think I'll cover for you? Don't think I've come to make life cosy. I've come to cut, 
to make a sharp knife cut between son and father, daughter and mother, bride and mother-in-law. Cut through these cosy domestic arrangements and free you for God. Well-meaning family members can be your worst enemies. If you prefer father or mother over me, you don't deserve me. If you prefer son or daughter over me, you don't deserve me. If you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. We are intimately linked in this harvest work. Anyone who accepts what you do accepts me, the one who sent you. Anyone who accepts what I do accepts my Father who sent me. Accepting a messenger of God is as good as being God's messenger. Accepting someone's help is as good as giving someone help. This is a large work I've called you into, but don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who's thirsty, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing. There's a hard road in front of us and we have to have a strong resolve to follow Jesus in the places he wants us to go. Jesus said, take no money, take no extra clothes with you and travel light. I'll supply all you need. Jesus said, I'm sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. Most people want a nice tame Jesus, trying to domesticate the lion and his followers into pussycats. The lion of Judah is outrageous, unpredictable, and you never know what he's going to do. The Pharisees failed to recognise the most immense visitation in the history of the earth. What was right under their nose they couldn't see. The early Christians were anti-institutional. They shattered every category known to man. They preached a life-threatening gospel. So dangerous, disciples had to be killed just to shut them up. They followed their master. They were unpredictable, unstoppable and powerful. Dangerous Christians have a mark on them. They have ruined lives and captivated hearts. They love not their lives unto the death. They've counted the cost and paid the price. After the outpouring of Pentecost and the church turning the world upside down, if you look in the final chapter of the book of Acts, the last words of Paul to the Jews were, your heart has become dull. Dullness is lifelessness. It's the absence of intensity, passion and greatness in our hearts and our souls. Look around the church and you see people who've lost their sparkle and the joy of the presence of Jesus. They no longer behold the glory of the King. Dry, flat, insipid are the words you might use to describe what you see. Boring, tedious and monotonous. Dullness is the inability to see God as he really is. Many of us have become tired, worn out, bored and fed up with church. 
and we need to return to the gospel, the good news, and what it portrays of Jesus himself. For some, Christianity is no longer a life-changing experience, it's merely life-enhancing. And Jesus doesn't change people into radicals anymore, he changes them into nice people, with the result that what constitutes a church has become dull, predictable and monotonous, when it was the unnice behaviour of Jesus and his followers that turned the world upside down. In these final days we must recapture the majesty and supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must see him as he really, really is, the coming King, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the King of Righteousness, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God. Truly living in Christ means we are living in a restful habitation between God's extremes of being and doing, and we won't fit with safe people, except when we are being safe. You cannot be secure in what God is doing. You can only be secure in who he is. Because God is going to rock your world with the demands that he makes on your life. But he will comfort your world with his presence and all he intends to give you of himself. This isn't a dress rehearsal. We're on stage. We're into bat. This is it. We get one chance at this thing. This is to be our finest and last hour. Don't let's blow it. It's time to put our whole self in. We have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Let Jesus see the travail of his soul and be deeply, deeply satisfied. From the beginning God has been looking for a people who will be totally and completely wholehearted in their love for him, in their relationship with him and in their love and relationship with each other. In John 6 people were asking Jesus for a sign because they didn't believe that he was one and many of them turned back. Verse 66 says, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, Jesus asked, 12. In John 6.41, some people grumbled about him and his words, saying he was only Joseph's son, and they argued, verse 52. This was a critical moment. Many withdrew from him and would not walk with him any longer. So at that point he asked the disciples, do you want to go as well? What are you going to do, boys? Verse 68, and Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, Peter, speaking for them all, says in effect, this is hard, it's difficult, and if there was an alternative route, I might take it. Peter is saying, oh, but I know there isn't one. There is no other stream. Have you been marking time? 
God is looking for people who want to do something significant with their life. People who will give him their availability, not their ability. He doesn't ask anything from you, but that you surrender and abandon yourself to his purposes that heaven might come to earth, that the glory of the Lord might be manifest through his church in these days, that his kingdom might come here, now, through us, as he intended. Our focus in spiritual warfare is not the enemy. It is the supreme majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Father, your great goal is that we would have the image of Jesus upon our lives so that people will look at us as we talk about him and they will know that we have been with him. We ask you, Father, to conform us to the image of Jesus. Transform us by the renewing of our minds. It doesn't matter what people are doing to us. It only matters how we respond. So would you come and breathe on us? Holy Spirit, would you speak to every single one of us and those listening on the CD? Change us, transform us, grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, Father. Lord, we're so thankful we can continually come before you and we're grateful to you for your mercy and kindness. Father, I pray that you will raise up warriors, mighty men, mighty women, who are conformed to the image of Jesus, who will be strong and do exploits on that day. Thank you, Father, that you hear. You understand and you respond to the hearts of your people. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. If this has struck a chord in your heart, just signify it to God. This is just you and him. There's no one else, just you and him. If you really want God to know that you really want what I've been talking about, just offer yourself afresh to him right now. And may God bless you richly. Amen. Oh,